Section 130 of Loss of the Sultana by Chester D. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 130. Isaac Van Nuys. I was born in Wayne County, Indiana, January 8, 1838. I enlisted in the service of the United States on the 23rd of April, 1861, at Richmond, Indiana, as a private in Company D, 57th Indiana Veteran Volunteer Infantry, for three years. Re-enlisted as Veteran Volunteer Infantry, January 1, 1864, in the same company and regiment. I was captured at Franklin, Tennessee, November 30, 1864, and exchanged April 1, 1865, at Black River, near Vicksburg, Mississippi was confined at meridian mississippi most of the time while a prisoner after lying in parole camp at vicksburg for a few weeks was sent north on the ill-fated steamer sultana april twenty fifth eighteen sixty five we to the number of about two thousand three hundred prisoners were marched from the camp and loaded on the sultana at vicksburg when we were crowded on the vessel I think it was six times its capacity. We were huddled together like sheep for the slaughter, many as yet suffering from battle wounds, and most of them emaciated from starvation in prison pens, as all conversant with Andersonville can testify. Now, however, they were en route for home. The cruel war was over, and their cause triumphant. The visions of loved ones greeting their return and of dear familiar scenes and the quiet peaceful life were again theirs to pursue all this filled their hearts with joy making their bearing and conversation a study in human nature rare even in those stirring days memphis was reached on the twenty sixth of april after coaling the steamer proceeded so far the presence of danger was not manifested nor was it in any sense anticipated. That very night, however, at two o'clock a.m., just as we had made eight miles above Memphis, suddenly and without any warning, the boiler of the steamer exploded with terrific force, and in a few minutes the boat burned to the water's edge. No adequate cause for the explosion has ever been ascertained. The steamer was running at her proper speed, nine or ten miles an hour. No peril seemed imminent, and the event remains yet a mystery. The scene that followed the explosion was simply horrible, beyond words to depict, but it was of short duration, as the glare of the burning steamer that illuminated the sky and made visible the awful despair of the hour soon died away, while darkness all the more intense, settled down on the floating hulk and the 2,300 victims of the explosion, who, maimed or scalded, in addition to battle wounds, were borne down by the unpitying flood whose rapid current was strewn with the bodies of the dead and the dying, and but few in fact but what were injured. This casualty transpired in time of intense excitement and never had the attention it ought to have had, following closely as it did the assassination of President Lincoln and the close of the war. 
death and destruction had been in the land for four years and nearly four hundred thousand had already given up their lives in defense of the national flag that it might wave over a free country i had been in prison and witnessed the awful scenes there and on many a battlefield i thought i had seen all the horrors of war but this disaster was the most heart-rending of any i had seen in my four years service I was on the hurricane deck in rear of the pilot house, asleep, when the explosion occurred. I was so shocked that I couldn't tell what had happened for a moment, but soon found that the boat had been blown to pieces in front of the pilot house, and those that could work were fighting the fire to keep the rest of the vessel from burning, but it was soon given up to the flames. I couldn't swim and was trying to make up my mind whether it would be better to stay on the boat and burn or to drown in the deep water below after reflection i came to the conclusion i would stand on the deck and saw by the light of the burning vessel that the water was full of drowning men and floating dead bodies as the flames commenced burning around me however and began heating me up i changed my mind and thought i would try the water as most of them had gone down with this resolve i went to the pilot house and pulling off a loose board put it under my arm and went to the edge of the deck here i found that the side wheel had burned off and fallen into the water and some timbers from above had drifted there i concluded to make the jump for the water holding on to my board and if I failed with it, I would have a chance on the wheelhouse. I jumped into the river and went down. It seemed to me a half of a mile in the water. And when I came to the surface again, my board was gone, but I managed to catch on to the wheel and thus saved myself from drowning this time. I was so close to the burning boat that I had to let myself down in the water to keep from being burned. While thus situated, I managed to get two pieces of timber together by tying them with my suspenders around one end and nailing a board across the other end with a chunk of wood, all the time lowering myself into the water every few minutes to keep from being burned. When I had completed my little raft, I jumped astride it, pushed off from the burning boat, and floated down the stream. I had a board which served as an oar to guide my bark after it floated out of the main current. I landed on the Arkansas side of the river about five miles from the burning hulk. Soon after I left, the hull burned through and went down, taking everything in its reach. As I was among the last that left the boat, I saw 1,600 go down to a watery grave. Most of them made a rush for the water, some thinking that they could swim, and in that way attempted their escape, but many of them would catch on to each other, and they went down by the hundreds. Under all circumstances you will find men ready to joke and to receive them. As I was floating down the stream, I came near a man floating on a small piece of timber who said, "'Say, pard, give me a chew of tobacco.' I feel like if I had a chew, I could make it to the shore all right. I told him I was going down to Memphis for a load and would give him some on my return, but the poor fellow never got home. 
I was picked up about eight o'clock a.m. and taken to the hospital at Memphis for treatment, as I was exhausted and scalded. I remained there about two weeks and then was sent north to our capital, where I was furloughed home for a few days to see my loved ones. There was a general order from the War Department to muster out all paroled prisoners, and we were soon called to answer to the last red tape roll call after almost four years of service. The history of the regiment was our history. We had participated in its hardships, its labors, its duties, and its countless privations. In the charge of many a battlefield we had borne our part. This closed our active service and prison life, and we could say that we had performed the duty that we owed to our country. I was discharged from the service on the 16th day of June, 1865, at Indianapolis, Indiana, as captain of my company. I have, for the last three years, been unable to follow my trade, and am still unable to do any business. End of section 130